Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling podcast. For countless parents, the journey to unschooling has redefined childhood and transformed their family relationships. Are you curious? Together, let's explore what living and learning looks like without school. Hello, explorers. I'm Pam Laricchia, and this is episode number 322 of the podcast. It's the 21st of March, 2022, as I record this intro. And this week, Anna Brown and Erica Ellis join me for another Q&A episode. I encourage you to listen to our conversation with an open and curious mind. Let the ideas bubble away in the back of your mind for a while. Play with them. See what happens. You might make a new connection. Our first question comes from the comments on our last Q&A YouTube video. The viewer is feeling disconnected from their young teen and worrying about the time he's spending gaming. Our second question is from Maya concerning the concept of productivity. She wonders why it feels difficult to release her judgments about productivity and laziness. Our final question relates to curiosity. The listener wonders if people who are more naturally curious about a wide variety of topics make better unschoolers and whether there is something they can do to help their younger two children who seem uninterested in following those curiosity trails. Is there an ideal unschooler? If you have something on your mind, check out the show notes for the link to submit your question for a future Q&A episode, or just go to livingjoyfully.ca forward slash question. We'd love to explore the questions you're pondering right now on your unschooling journey. But before we get started, I want to take a moment to thank everyone who has chosen to support the podcast through Patreon. I deeply appreciate all my patrons. Your support pays for the hosting and transcription, as well as supporting the time I spend creating new episodes each week. It's instrumental in keeping the podcast archive freely available to anyone who's curious and wants to explore the fascinating world of unschooling. If you'd like to join my community of patrons and scoop up some great rewards along the way, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash exploring unschooling. And now, let's get to your questions. Welcome, I'm Pam Laricchia from livingjoyfully.ca, and this week, Anna Brown and Erica Ellis join me to answer listener questions. Hi! (laughs) Now, before we get started, I just want to remind everyone that our Q&A conversations aren't focused on giving anyone the, quote, right answer, because there is not a universal right answer for any situation or that works for everyone. So instead, our focus is on considering the situation from different perspectives, maybe of those involved and playing with the kinds of questions we might ask ourselves to just better understand the nuances of a challenge and maybe brainstorming some possibilities for moving forward if that's applicable to the question. Basically, we're sharing food for thought through the lens of unschooling. So Anna, would you like to get us started? Sure. So, okay, so this question was posted in the comments of the last Q&A episode on YouTube. So good chance to mention that if you ever want to see the videos, Living Joyfully has a wonderful YouTube channel as well. 
So onto the question. Um, so we've been unschooling for two years. My four and six-year-olds have never been to school. I'm very pleased and amazed at how they have learned to read, write, and learn the basics of math. My 10-year-old has been focusing on her interest of art and horseback riding. She likes reading and will pick up a workbook and do pages for fun. My concern is my 13-year-old. He's a gamer and I'm fine with that. But if I let him, he will never leave his room and will stay on his VR all day. He loves watching YouTube as well and has taught himself how to cook. And he's heavily involved in BMX, which gets him out of his room. I just can't help but worry that although he may be learning, that he spends too much time in gaming. I feel sometimes he's not part of the family. I've read that many teens will stay in their rooms and it makes me sad. I love watching your channel as it helps me with these feelings. So thank you for all that you do. Okay, so a couple things bubbled up for me. <laughs> One just quickly around language. Um, she mentions that he will never leave his room and be on, on the VR all day, that all and never. Um, and while the next sentence talks about cooking and heavily into BMX, you know, so we get kind of a different picture, but it's this subtle change, but removing words like all and never can really help ground us in the now and in the truth of the story. He spends a lot of time gaming and he loves it. The energy of that statement is so different. But setting that aside, <laughs> I have found that 13 is often a time of cocooning. There's a lot to process at that age with puberty, understanding the larger world and where they fit in. You know, video games provide a really rich world for exploring all sorts of topics in a way that isn't quite as intense as the real world, um, especially if he's playing online with friends. But even if not, there's so much to learn and process. And there are tons of wonderful resources from Pam about the benefits of gaming. So I'm not going to repeat all of that, but we can put some of that in the show notes. I think the piece about missing him is so important. And when those times came around for me, I use that as opportunities to lean in. You know, often we want to connect with our children. When we do, we invite them to join in something we want to do. <laughs> and that's lovely sometimes. But what really feels wonderful to our children and really anyone is to join them in what they love. So I wasn't a huge gamer, but I could listen and support. You know, most kids love to talk about what's going on in their game if we're really listening. And in the listening, I could learn the language and speak intelligently about the game, the levels, how the game plays, when tasks come up next, what's coming up next, celebrating when something exciting was happening. And I could also add fun things into their life, posters, plushies, et cetera. And all of that showed that I saw them and I saw what they loved. And that connection helped me so much because I learned about them and it helped so much with that, you know, missing and when that foundation is strong, what I found is that they wanted to join in with me in the walk in the yard or watch a show or even fold laundry. But especially with teens, they need to know that we love them for exactly who they are. So there's this natural separation that does happen in the teen years. You aren't as involved in the minute to minute bits that you were with little ones. It's not that hands-on all the time. But the mainstream idea that teens are distant, distant or angry even is so much more about not being heard and seen for who they are. And I found that was all about me. Leaning into them and who they are changed that. No 
no one likes to be controlled and teens, all kids can sense an agenda a mile away. So I wanted to watch my energy and make sure I was being honest. If I was missing them, then I communicated that that was about me, not about what they were doing. Because if it's not about missing them, it's really about me trying to control how they're spending their time. And that's that underlying agenda that they can smell a mile away. But if I was missing them, then I knew I could lean in and find ways that felt good for them so that we could remain connected through those years and beyond, because that connection was always the priority for me. So here I have it to bring up for you. (laughs) Yeah. um, Well, first of all, I thought his interests really sound so fun and so cool. He's doing a range of things that really sound engaging, cooking, BMX, gaming. So really, I think this is probably less about what he's doing and more about the transition from being a kid to being a teen and how there can be some grief in that transition for a parent. It's a big shift. He's growing up. He's needing space. He's figuring out what he wants to do with his time and figuring himself out. There's so much that's happening inside a young teen's mind, and we really can't know what that's feeling like for them from the outside. All we know is things look different, and that can make us uncomfortable. Maybe we miss hearing all the details of what they're learning about or are interested in. Maybe they seem less cheerful and that feels hard, like maybe something's wrong. But young teens are starting to have a bigger view of the world and their place in it, which can feel pretty heavy at times. And in your case, with younger kids to compare him to, it might make these changes even more jarring. And so I think just acknowledging that it feels hard and it feels different for you and that that makes sense is a great place to start. And then just realizing that he is also going through a lot, too. Um, My kids are kind of moving into this phase now, wanting more privacy, wanting more space, spending more time alone, and really just seeming much more grown up. And it's definitely shifting our relationship because I'm needing to find new ways to feel connected and new ways to check in with them that are respectful of who they are now. Um, But what I really want to be careful about is to avoid judging them for their choices and to really keep my focus on loving them exactly the way they are now, keeping in mind that this is a big time of growth growth for them and it's not easy. Um, If they feel most supported by me, making sure they get plenty of time and space to be alone, then I can do that. I can focus on making sure they have the food they need and whatever they need to follow their interests, whether it's you know, the technological equipment or the downloadable content, the toys, whatever it is. Um, I can help them schedule time with their friends. I'm just basically looking for ways to support them in what they want to do and being there when they need me. Um, knowing that he's going through a lot of changes and probably has a lot to process might help you to just focus more on loving and supporting him exactly where he is and in the things he's drawn to do at this stage. If he's feeling judged, it just becomes harder to connect and harder for him to trust that you'll be there for him. Um, So it's a great time to help create a safe, comfortable place for him to be and show him that he'll be accepted just the way he is. I think like Anna was saying, that that cocooning time is so common for young teens, maybe even nearly universal. So thinking of it that way makes it feel maybe less scary and more like an opportunity to find new ways to support him. I love that. <laughs> I love both what you shared. So I don't have too much to add, but um, I just wanted to acknowledge just, you know, how challenging this time is. Like you can, I can just feel your mind spinning, right? When you're 
when you have things like, you know, he'll stay in his room all day, he'll, he'll be on his VR all day, and he cooks, which I assume he does in the kitchen, and he loves watching YouTube, and he's heavily involved in BMX, which I'm pretty sure a lot of that is not done in his bedroom, you know, but it's just, you can feel that spinning. So, you know, just big hugs around that, totally familiar when when that happens. Um, and for me, that that reminder when I'm noticing that I'm I'm spinning, that I'm feeling out of sorts, it was just to take some breaths, right? To give myself some space, to remind myself this isn't an emergency, this isn't a big rush. I have some time to think a little bit more about this. And I also found in the end that in the end, but what has helped me the most is is reconnecting, is seeing them again, because I've got images in their head of them in my head that are spinning. It's like, oh, okay, like this is what I'm thinking I'm seeing. What am I actually seeing? Getting back to like what you were talking about there, Anna, connecting with them, reconnecting with them. Um, because like, and the, the cocooning that you both mentioned, that's an important piece and finding the new ways to support and engage with them and connect with them. Um, I found it interesting that uh, you just use the word gaming to describe the interest. So maybe that's something that you can learn more about so that you can engage with them. And what also I was feeling is as you're engaging with him and having um, conversations, learning more about what it is that he's enjoying about gaming, what games he's playing, those conversations can now become part of the family's language, like that he's feeling separate from the family, but we can easily just start chatting about those things like over a meal or when they come out to grab a snack so that that language also becomes part of the family's language. That also helps them feel seen, helps them feel heard, and helps it feel less like he's living this separate life away from the rest of us, right? So I think that could be super helpful. And it, it really is just about knowing that they are where they are and respecting that and just wanting to help them be where they are. Like Erica described that so beautifully. It's like they're, this is this is a new time for them too. They're looking for different things. So, and we can be kind of missing what we used to know about them and how we used to engage with them um, and certainly grieving that, but also like being excited about, Ooh, you know, what are they, what are they doing now? What are they enjoying now? How would they, how can I support them now? Um, so it looks different, but the foundation, the root of it is the same. I want to know them. I want to see them. I want to acknowledge them. And I want to support them in whatever ways they want. So that's the fun part. I like to get like curious about, oh, so things are changing. So what might it look like now? How can this be fun and interesting now? And how can I see and love them for who they are now? That's, that's the fun piece. <laughs> All right, Erica, you want to go to the next question? Sure. So this question is from Maya in Washington, D.C., and she writes, hello, I'd love to dive deeper on the topic of productiveness. 
I find I struggle with de-schooling this concept for myself. Whenever I try to really understand not striving to be productive as a value, I hit a wall within me. The word lazy surfaces and doesn't let anything else in. I just can't see it the way I do with other philosophical pillars of unschooling. So I would appreciate some more clarity on this in order to be able to be more comfortable and less judgmental towards myself and others. Thanks so much. And then Maya added a bit more to her question the next day. In regards to productiveness, I understand the importance of intrinsic motivation and can totally see how productiveness can be judged through viewing products and how all this plays to external judgment and external motivation. So if I clean this from the equation and I'm true to myself looking in the mirror, am I ready to be completely unproductive? That's really my question. And I'd be happy to peel the layers off this one. Thanks again. Okay. So, oh my gosh, this was such an interesting question because we were just talking about this topic in the network. And I swear the idea of productivity has been coming up left and right in my social media, my emails everywhere. It's like, okay, I'm getting the message. We need to talk about this. So you summed up by asking the question, am I ready to be completely unproductive? And so the answer I have to that question is, I don't know. Are you ready? In our culture, which connects productivity to morality, it's a hard thing to do. It's counterculture. Um, but like you were saying, there are a lot of things about unschooling that feel like this. We're questioning all kinds of mainstream paradigms. So we know we can do that questioning and figure out new ways that feel better to us. So it makes me curious what makes productivity harder to release than some of these other things for you. I can imagine that could be personality driven. If you tend to connect your own value to what you produce, that will make questioning it much harder. If you take pride in doing good work and making efficient use of your time, releasing productivity as a value might feel risky. Like, who am I if I'm not producing? Am I worthy? Am I lovable? Do I still have value? But even though it's hard, there's much to be discovered by peeling back these layers and see, seeing where these ideas even come from. So you mentioned that the word lazy comes up for you. Now, for me, I reject that word completely. I don't believe in it. I think lazy is a word that's used only to shame people and that it doesn't serve any higher purpose than that. It's a way to misunderstand the nature of being human. It's ableist. It's just used to judge people, ourselves included. I think productivity as a moral good and laziness as a moral failing are ideas that help the machinery of society at the expense of the people. It's a lens that pushes people to work harder and longer and for less compensation because we want to be good. Um, it's really helped me so much on my journey of questioning productivity paradigms to read and follow along with writers and thinkers who are much further along the same path. I'm thinking right now about Trisha Hersey, the Nat Bishop, who I follow on Instagram on her account, the Nat Ministry. Um, she shares really profound observations about productivity and worth. She writes about her experience as a Black woman in America and the connections between capitalism and slavery, white supremacy and productivity. And her words ring so true to me and remind me to resist those beliefs that don't serve us as humans. Um, one of her recent posts said, quote, from the time you were born, every system in this culture has been telling you that you are not worthy as a human unless you labor and produce and do. You had no choice in this matter. This deserves your grief and your rest. You've been lied to, end quote. 
it's really deep and powerful stuff. I think when you realize that those words in your mind, calling yourself lazy or telling yourself that you have no worth when you're not productive are actually not your words that someone else put them there, it becomes easier to release them. Is that focus on productivity serving you? And would you be better served shifting away from that lens? Um, I've gone through the same process with other mainstream ideas like body image and the moral value placed on becoming thinner. I ask who came up with this idea? What's in it for them? Is it serving me? And in so many cases, the who is business and what's in it for them is money. And if I continue to feel bad about myself and keep trying to change my body, I'm going to be ready to buy all kinds of helpful products. Um, so if we feel like it's our moral obligation to be productive, who's benefiting from that? Where did the idea come from? Knowing it's not my own idea helps me question it and shift to something that feels better. Um, one other layer I was thinking about as I pondered this question is the real complexity of the issue. Like, it doesn't feel great to me to be completely unproductive either. I want to do things that will make my life better. I want to do work that makes me feel good. It's the same with diet culture. Like, I don't want to shame myself about food, but I still have to eat. I don't want to shame myself about productivity but productive activity is still going to be part of my life. And I don't have to place a moral value on rest either, just like I don't have to put a moral value on eating indulgently or being sedentary. I think the place I can get to that feels good is a place where I'm being true to myself and what I need to thrive and not shaming myself one way or the other. Um, really tuning into my body and my heart and my mind and responding um, you know, when I need rest, when I need movement, when I need food, when I feel like getting something done. And if I'm feeling ashamed for having a slow day, I can remind myself I could choose differently the next day if I want to, but that it's okay to just be, and there's no such thing as lazy. Um, I have more. <laughs> this one really got me going. <laughs> yesterday, <laughs> so yes, <laughs> yesterday, I received a newsletter in my email from the author Lovey Ajay Jones, and the subject line was, break the chains of productivity rhetoric, and I just couldn't believe the timing. She said, um, no matter what you hear online, your value is not tied to your productivity and how much you work. She said, you are enough, you are worthy, and she also suggested unfollowing social media accounts that make you feel like you're not. Um, the social media environment we cultivate for ourselves can be so influential. So that could be something else to consider to see if you're surrounded by messaging about productivity that makes you feel bad. And then as I was writing this, I was listening to this video on Instagram where Lene Vini was responding to something Kim Kardashian had said. Someone had asked him what advice she would give to women in business. And she said something like, just do the work. No one wants to work these days. And Lene's response was so powerful, um, explaining how much harm a statement like that does to people who are not in that same place of privilege and how this belief that if we just work harder, we will attain success and fortune puts blame on individuals for systemic issues that are so much better, bigger than that. Um, so internalizing beliefs like that make people feel ashamed and feel like they need to push through their life, never resting. Um, I feel like this topic has followed a similar path to a lot of other paradigm shifts I made during de-schooling. It went from, this is just how it is. This is true. It's normal. And then I learn more and think more and I go, hold on, wait a second. And then, okay, now I'm fired up about this. I'm feeling angry that I didn't realize all of this earlier. And finally, just coming to have this whole new understanding that feels so much more true. Um, maybe just digging into why this particular topic feels harder for you might be interesting 
Is it that you're surrounding yourself with this type of messaging? Is it related to what feels good to you about yourself? So that might be a place to get curious. I really enjoyed thinking about this topic. So thanks for writing in, Maya. <laughs> I love Fired Up Erica. <laughs> that was beautiful. <laughs> ah, and actually, it'll be really fun. Mine is not as long, but there are some really fun connections. So this is a completely different kind of layer, but... When it comes to the question of being unproductive, and I was thinking back to my journey on this, one angle that I found really interesting to play with was my definition of productive, right? So as I was de-schooling and I began to look at the bigger picture of our lives, um, and I better understood how learning works and how people tick and the value of rest and relaxation and giving my mind space to contemplate both consciously and subconsciously. I found my definition of productive growing so much more expansive. So what I used to define as unproductive now truly looks productive through this new lens, right? Like you were saying, Erica, I'm choosing in this moment what makes sense to me. And it may be different tomorrow and it may be different in two hours. Um, so I do, I think it could be really interesting to look at the things that you deem unproductive and contemplate what you're actually getting out of them, right? Why do you want to do them, right? You know, you're you're wanting to do this thing, but you're saying, oh, it's feeling unproductive. Should I be doing it? Why do you want to do it? What's the value to you, whether it's an immediate value or a someday value, like any value, any value, just be totally open and dig into that. Because for me, once I began to recognize that there's value for me, even in those unproductive times, that's helping me realize that's somebody else's lens of what value is. And this is how I discover what's valuable to me, what's actually valuable to me. And then eventually, I got to a place where I stopped needing to look for the value. I trusted my choices, the productive, unproductive lens just wasn't adding anything to my choices throughout the day. And like you said, Erica, this is like so many other things on my de-schooling journey. <laughs> it's kind of like with learning, right? When we first come to unschooling, we're often looking for the learning because it can be hard to recognize when it doesn't look like that school-based conventional learning that we're used to. So it's like, oh, they're not learning. So we have to bring this new lens, this more expansive lens of what learning looks like. And then we start to see it. And then we start to see it all the time. And eventually we stop meaning to look for it at all. So yeah, as I was peeling back those layers, it's, oh man, it's like a very similar journey to so many of the other ones. Um, and when if it's just it's just about digging in and asking those questions, right? Asking how how it feels to me. Yes, I can take in other piece of information, but does it make sense to me? Does it make sense in this world um, that I have with my family, with my goals, with my aspirations, with the way I'm choosing to live my life? And then that's when we can embrace it so much more because it makes sense. That's where it makes sense to us. When we find that we're judging ourselves about something, whether it's productivity or learning or whatever it is, when we find we're judging ourselves, that's just a clue that we're still working with an external framework. We really don't quite, it doesn't quite make sense to us yet, 
right? So that is exactly, and exactly where uh, you are right now, Maya. It's like peeling back the layers on this, knowing that there are still some layers here because I'm still feeling uncomfortable about this particular question. So I thought that was awesome. <laughs> okay, so I knew you guys would cover a lot. <laughs> so so mine's a bit short, but it's like what jumped out with me was the aspect of other. And it was interesting how it ties into things that Erica and you both said, you know, because this judgment of what is productive, you know, while we think it's coming from inside of us, it's often this outside noise, things we've been told, ideas that we've taken inside of ourselves until we don't see the original source. And I found those sources often to be vague and certainly not someone or something that knew me. It was often systems that needed something from me. And I wanted to get to a place where I was choosing if I wanted to provide that or not. What I saw was that my joy, my fulfillment, my exploration of what it's like to be human was was not a factor to these outside sources. Basically, I was the product. I was the product they shaped through school, through authority. And well, as you know, I buck against that kind of thing. (laughs) And I played that role in school, you know, but as I got older, I realized there was no prize at the end for living up to someone else's ideal. And that what by doing that, by striving for that, I was missing on the actual joy of life, the connections, the space between the doing. That space is where the magic is, where I learn about myself, where I deepen my relationships. And so I stopped giving away my power and striving for someone else and turned my focus to my growth and my relationships to the things that mattered to me. Um, One of the network members talked about living at the speed of joy, and it really summed it up for me. She talked about how we can live at a speed of survival, doing all the things, checking all the boxes, but it's not sustainable. And it takes a toll on us. It takes a toll on our relationships. But children naturally live at the speed of joy. They delight in the things around them. They move at a pace we don't often understand, but they are there to teach us if we just tune in. And I didn't want to lose that. I didn't want them to lose their relationship to time, that pace that allowed them to take it all in, to process and play, develop and grow at their own timetable. I didn't want them to trade their life to live someone else's timetable. I'm still peeling back years and layers of weight related to this that I was handed. And I didn't want to hand that on. And I'm doing that work alongside of them and was as they were growing up. And I continue to do it now. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) That was a a wonderful question. That's so, so fun to dig into this stuff, isn't it? Okay. Our last question um, is anonymous. And they wrote, we've been unschooling for over 10 years, and I've read her so many fairy tale descriptions. Um, and she linked to one that, that Akila Richard share. And if you, Akila's been on the podcast a couple of times, we'll put the links in the show notes to her episodes as well. Um, but it was about her daughter's exploration of language. Uh, my oldest fits in this category relatively well in the sense that he's always been super curious and seeks out and devours knowledge. For example, He reads books written by mathematicians and listens for hours to people talking about gaming. My younger two have always seemed relatively uncurious about the world. If we run across something, for example, Rasputin was a real person and not just the name of a song on Just Dance, it's me always saying, let's look it up. And if I don't keep pursuing, that's where it stops. I offer books, resources, field trips, et cetera. They just don't engage. I'm feeling discouraged and tired of trying to light their fire, so to speak. 
And I can already hear what you're going to ask. What do they do? They attend some classes, co-ops, have play dates, watch various shows, listen to audiobooks, and play games on their iPad and on the Switch. Even when playing with friends, they predominantly seem like passive consumers of entertainment. I get that these things are fun, and I don't need to be convinced of the value of these activities. But I also don't see these activities balanced with exploration. I guess that's the crux of it. In my mind, the ideal unhomeschooler is an active constructor of knowledge, an intrepid explorer charting their own course through the world. They make and pursue connections. So I guess my question is, can you speak to the intersection of various levels of individual curiosity and unschooling? A side note, my girls are 8 and 11 and have never been to school, so I don't think this is really a de-schooling issue for them. Okay, this is another really interesting question to explore, so thank you very much for asking. And I think it's it's really worth digging into a couple of things here. Now, they don't engage in ways that you're looking for, that, that fire of pursuing the details, of looking for the facts, of wanting to know them. So it's just really fun to play around with that. What if their way of engaging with the world just looks different? What if it's also a wonderfully valid way to be a human being? What if they're less curious about the factual understanding of the world, that knowledge, and more interested in understanding people and relationships? Because you mentioned they have co-op classes and play dates and regularly enjoy time with their friends. Is that less valuable than engaging with information? What if they are also curious, but not about the things you're looking for them to be curious about? So like that is just so fun to think, let me try on this other lens and see what things look like. So I'd say maybe spend some time observing them. That that can never go wrong. For sure, spend time (laughs) observing them and paying attention. Look at the things they are doing. Like you said, you know, I don't need to be told to see the value in those things, but discover like a layer deeper. What do they enjoy about them? What is it that they're getting at? What are they curious about? There is a curiosity driving them. It's just not what you're looking for, I think. So like put on new lens, put on that little detective hat and say, hmm, what is it that's driving them? Because something is driving them. They are out of bed, right? Um, and as you discover that, can you bring more of that into those into their lives? I thought that will be really fun to play with. What if it's just a different way to be curious? And then along those lines, another piece that would be really interesting to dig into is the idea of an ideal unschooler. (laughs) That is super interesting. What if they are actively constructing knowledge about people and relationships? What if they too are charting a course through the world and it's just a different path than you imagine, right? What are you fearful of happening if they aren't super curious about the facts of the world? How do you see that play out? Like that was something that was always helpful for me when I had some sort of worry was actually playing it out. Like, what did I think this would look like 20 years from now? And is that really going to be the end of the world, right? So often it wasn't like I would be fearful, but if I actually played it, and then I was scared to think about it. Oh, no, no. But like, what if? Oh, my goodness. You know, that, that wouldn't, maybe that wouldn't be so bad. So often it wasn't as bad as I was worried it might be. 
I also wanted to mention episode 96 of the podcast where we talked about ordinary unschooling <laughs> and digging into what is that draw of unschooling success stories of an ideal homeschooler unschooler. Is that really about me and needing me to get that A in being an unschooling parent kind of deal? Like, this is not wrong. These are just great questions to ask ourselves and to explore. And, and we also talk about the value and the magic and the beauty of those uns ordinary unschooling days. And like you were saying, those in-between moments, Anna, you were talking about how much there is in those in-between moments. And there's just so many interesting things to, to play with here, I think. I know I ask mostly a bunch of questions because, again, there are no answers. It's about helping you, like, see new lenses, new ways to explore this question and maybe learn a little bit more. How about you, Anna? Yeah. I think it's so interesting. And that, that podcast actually came to my mind too. You know, and, and there are these beautiful stories of unschoolers with the singular passion and they take it to amazing places or the ones that dive into all sorts of things. But I think it helps to also remember those are the highlight reels. Like those are the Instagram worthy bits that we're seeing from the outside. Unschooling and life, it's a long game. The children mentioned are still relatively young and it's really hard for us to know what's happening inside a child's mind. What can connections are happening, especially if they're internal processors. And sometimes as we look back, we can make connections and see how they got somewhere. And sometimes not. There are leaps and jumps that we cannot predict, but it makes sense to that person. And I think it helps to check in about our agenda. It's really hard to step away from that outward product. In this case, that they are learning and exploring things that are easy for me or others to see and understand. And I do think this really relates to the previous question. You know, why isn't it okay to move through our days, enjoying ourselves, exploring things in ways that may only make sense to us? Why does it need to look a certain way to those outside of us? And I think, you know, that's probably where we develop that external validation needs. You know, when we stop following our internal guide and do things in order to please and have it look a certain way for those around us. And we all know that can take years to unpack. You know, my youngest doesn't have a singular passion and often struggles in finding what she wants to do next, but she is also a loving friend, hardworking, respected. She impacts her slice of the world daily with kindness and compassion. And it may, may not be as splashy as some of the things you see on social media, but she's learning about herself, cultivating relationships that are important to her, moving through the world at her own pace. And that life, that quieter life is just just as valid and just as beautiful. And again, it's a long game. Who knows where her life will take her, but I don't need to know where it's going because her life right now is already important and valid. And it's the same for the kids in these questions. This question, they're contributing to life in their own way and touching those around them right now. We don't know what's in their mind and hearts and where that will lead them, but short-circuiting that by trying to impose our ideas of what it should look like will only disconnect them from learning about who they are. These outside voices are strong for us as parents. But it really isn't a race. There isn't a scorecard at the end. Each day we're learning about being human beings living in this day and age. And that is enough. We are enough. Ooh, I love that. <laughs> 
Okay, so this I thought this question was so interesting too. I found it um, cool to kind of consider how curiosity looks different for different people and exploration looks different for different people. Um, one thing that is so true about me is that I get excited about everything. I have a scanner brain and I like to go down rabbit holes and learn about all kinds of things. I often say, I'm so curious about that. And my husband is similar in that he's super excitable and always wants to know more. It's so fun for us. And yet our kids are not really the same as us in that way at all. And I find it to be a personality thing and it could also be an age thing. Um, so just to give you an example, they're both super different from each other, but they both have something about them that makes it so they aren't as excited about everything as I am. So Oliver has really focused interests. And so if I bring up something that doesn't connect directly to something that he is currently interested in, it's almost as if he cannot hear it most of the time. And then for Maya, just knowing that I'm interested in something <laughs> is often enough of a reason to make her skeptical and a bit resistant to it. So for her, it's more about wanting to be in control of where her curiosity takes her and not wanting to be influenced by someone else. And for him, it's more about just being so focused on what he finds interesting that there isn't room to hear something else for now. And I haven't viewed either of these as problems. It can be, you know, a little disappointing from time to time to not get that, wow, let's find out more about that. Or, whoa, that's so interesting, mom, from them. But I could get that from talking to Anna or talking to Josh. I can still be me when it comes to the way I like to learn and they can be them. And I would also say that it's just not possible for us to know what's happening inside the mind of someone else. So to you, it looks like they're uninterested in things because the things you're talking about are the things that are so interesting to you, but maybe they're learning so much more about, like, I think both of you said interpersonal interactions or emotions or the nuances of how people behave. Maybe they're processing things internally that have nothing to do with anything that you're noticing. And so it's hard to even imagine what their experience would be like. And there are two of them. So I'm sure that each one of them is putting together a completely different and personalized web of knowledge and understanding about the world that fits them perfectly. You are giving them a rich life of experiences and resources. They have friends and things that they like to watch and play. They're absorbing and learning from all of their experiences and processing it in ways that are unique to them. And I think it's just a trap if you're looking for an ideal unschooler, because each human being is so unique. And we may have a hard time understanding some people because of just how differently they think and process, how deeply they feel or not, and what engages them and what's important to them. And so if you're looking to have a connected relationship with someone who just isn't making any sense to you, it can help to join them where they are and be present with them, not assuming what they should be curious about, not wanting to pull them forward in any direction, but just being there. And you might be able to discover more about how their minds work. Um, since you're feeling this discomfort, I'm betting that their minds work very differently from yours, and that's okay. Um, comparison is something that came up a lot as I was thinking about all three of the questions, you know, like comparison is the thief of joy as the saying goes. Um, 
it's a it's a common thread in in all three questions. The first was comparing the older child gaming all day to the younger ones who are engaged in more of the family activities. And the second about comparing ourselves to some productivity standard and falling short. And then this question, comparing some children to others and wondering which type of brain is better for unschooling. And I totally get that impulse to compare. It's one way that we can try to make sense of things. But the downside is comparison leads to dissatisfaction. It can lead to worrying and fear, and it pulls us away from what is and makes us focus more on what should be or what could be. And ultimately, it gets in the way of connection and strong relationships because we're missing the uniqueness and the beauty of the person we're looking at. Um, so maybe it helps to start at a place of acceptance and love for ourselves and for the people in our lives and to get curious and try to understand those personality differences, maybe even look into some personality frameworks to see what you can learn, um, to listen openly to them and open yourself up to new ways of connecting with the person as they are right now or with yourself as you are right now. Um, because comparison is just a distraction from what's really happening in front of us. Yeah, I, love I love that comparison thread because, and that's what we were talking about, like external frameworks that we're putting on top of the things that we're seeing and using them to assess and judge. And again, that's what we've learned growing up, that that's, that's the way we do it. We, we compare, we rate we try to be the best. We try to, you know, become the ideal, et cetera. In that, that, you know, it's not to feel bad about starting there, right, at all. But it is like, okay, let's peel back some of those layers around that. Does this really make sense for us? Does this really make sense for the person in front of me, the child in front of me? And can I just see them for who they are, who they are in this moment and celebrate that? And right. I, one thing, oh, sorry, that I want to oh. say too, that, that is, it goes in line with like all three questions, comparison, absolutely. But also the kind of myopathy, like looking just from the inside of us. So in the first one, you know, she values you know, family and outside and doing these things. And, you know, it just, it keeps going. And then we have the last question where they're really, I, I really do think it's just their brains work differently, you know, and there's lots of people that don't understand the way my brain works, but it's not a better or worse thing. It's just, we move through the world differently. So when we can start to just be curious about that, like, Ooh, so this is interesting. They're not driven by the same things. And like, if we take the Rasputin just dance example, they have no interest in Rasputin, but maybe they know so much about the music or they know something about this different piece of it that would never occur to my brain, you know? And so I think it's just that step back a little bit and then realize like, oh, I want to know more about how they're seeing the world and why this is important to me and why they're making those choices. And I think that's just something that can serve us always in relationships, because if we stay in our head and see through our lens that, damn, this is your thing, you know, I was going to say it, say it because it's totally it. <laughs> because so often when we're trying to figure things out, like the first place we go is we put ourselves in their shoes, right? But the challenge with that is we're still using the way our brain works. We're yeah. still using the lenses that make sense to us. So what's more helpful is seeing through their eyes. So it's like, 
seeing more clearly how their brain works, the things that they're valuing. And those are the clues because we're seeing their choices. Like they're living at the speed of their joy right there, right? So it's like, ooh, you know, let me take all those clues and see what is interesting. You know, maybe they're often playing just dance with friends and it's the interpersonal relations. Maybe it is the music. You know, when they're not interested in something that we're bringing up, or saying, hey, let's look into, that is just as much valuable information as actually looking it up because it's telling us, oh, it's not in their direction, in that direction that they're building their web of knowledge and understanding. That's not where their curiosity is leading them. Then I want to pay attention and find out, oh, so what is it? What is it? Because it's something, right? That is so curious. So when I talk, it's just a wonderful example of when I talk about seeing through their eyes. That's what the difference is, is actually figuring out and seeing what it is that they're seeing, what it is, the connections they're making, why they are drawn to that versus, geez, if I was in that, Rasputin wouldn't be like that. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. But we're also different. Like you're talking about Erica, personalities as well, like how our brains work what we're curious about, we're all building our web of knowledge. It just can be very different knowledge that we are connected to individually, right? (laughs) Maybe instead of starting with like, this isn't making sense to me, start with this does make sense. I'm just not sure how yet, you know, like to be more, just to get rid of some of the the confusing aspects of it for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Because it totally makes sense to them. Absolutely. (laughs) So that's our, that's our joy. That's our puzzle to figure out. That's, that's that extra connection with that person in front of us. Oh, I love that so much. Oh, thank you very much to both of you. I really enjoy hearing your perspectives. And thanks to people who sent in questions. They are wonderful. I really, I really love uh, just playing around with these and and helping just people get a sense because we can feel so much weight and that brings us down into that tunnel vision when we're worried about something. So to be able to like open it up a little bit more, shine some light on some different areas, try and release a little bit of the weight to help people like get a little bit more curious and explore what's actually um, part of what the different aspects can be. Um, if you would like to submit a question, uh, there'll be the link in the show notes, but livingjoyfully.ca slash question will also get you there. And we would love to hear from you. <laughs> Bye. Have a wonderful day. Bye. I hope you found this episode helpful on your unschooling journey. And be sure to check out the growing podcast archive. The conversations never go out of date. You can find more information about my books, the Living Joyfully Network online community, and the Childhood Redefined Unschooling Summit online course at my website, livingjoyfully.ca.